This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Show. Tonight we're proud that Melbourne is hosting a World Summit which starts on Wednesday. Al Gore will be presenting and so will Beyond Zero Emissions and Sustainability Victoria. What is it called? The Eco Cities World Summit. Our guests tonight will be Professor John Wiseman from Melbourne University who has been deeply involved in organising this summit. Vanessa Petrie, who is BZE's new CEO, and Stephanie Ziersch. Stephanie's from Sustainability Victoria, and she wants us all to take the pledge. Let's stop for a minute, listeners, and think of what an ecological city might look like, an eco-city. Do you see trees, uncrowded trams, birds? Well, that's as far as my man, mind takes me. But after the summit, in a few weeks' time, I will bring you the very latest, you know, the hard thinkers about this, because there's a whole raft of people, there are thousands of people really, who are putting their minds to what the cities of the future will be. In the meantime, I think it is up to each of us to envision the next 80 years. How it will be when we leave behind the politicians who are leading us to runaway climate change, I mean worldwide leaders, hiding the data that shows Australia's emissions are rising, that's in our case, and we create eco-cities where most of us will face the heat waves and rising tides. A certain amount of climate disruption is already locked in, as we know, and it is going to be a tumultuous 80 years. But if we get onto the recovery path and globally we make it to the post-carbon era, we might survive, as will the biodiversity that we talked about last week. Our first guest in the studio is Vanessa Petrie. She's the new CEO of Beyond Zero Emissions. Welcome, Vanessa. How are you? I'm great, thanks. And, Vanessa, I'd like you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how life has led you to now be a presenter at a World Summit. Oh, that's a meaning-of-life question. (laughs) Um, Well, I, you know, working in the environmental field, I've, I've done so for about 20 years now, and... Um, for me, my experiences probably as a child um, shaped my my professional interest working in sustainability now. So I think it's true for many of us living in Australia. Um, so as a kid, I'm going, I have really vivid memories of bushwalking, um, going to the Mornington Peninsula, walking through the tea tree scrub um, and just really connecting and, and getting feeling at peace when you're out in the Australian bush and mm. I think for me that that's had a really big impact on my identity and, and what I've become really passionate about and it's led me to my career now um, where I'm you know working in the sustainability field. Mm. And sustainability is a very big word we're going to talk to Stephanie a bit more about that but climate change is the real forcer now isn't it because we've been talking last week and next week we're also going to talk about animals and biodiversity, wild animals, wild nature, how it's terribly impacted uh, by climate change. But most of us live in cities. Most of us are urban worldwide, 80 or percent or more people are flocking to cities. So I'd like you to tell me what eco-cities probably means. What a, It's a visionary idea, isn't it? We certainly don't live in eco-cities right now. What do you think the future cities that will be 
impacted by climate change and also not fueling more climate change will look like? For me, Vivian, um, a just city is central to how I see an ecological city and we're hearing more and more when people are talking about climate change and solutions, they're talking about equity and justice um, and I mean, it seems quite simple to say this, um, but for, for me, a just city is a city where people have a right to be healthy and they are healthy. Um, they have access to the food they need and want. Um, mm. They can make choices about how they want to live their life. And um, a just ecological city is also a city where we don't take away that for future generations, where we don't take away their right to make choices about how they want to live their life. Um, we don't deplete all of the resources and we give them a choice to to live and fulfil their lives in the way that they would like to. Well, that reminds me of a program we did about heat waves and people in public housing a lot of the time just being absolutely more impacted than yeah. others by heat waves. And one uh, journalist I interviewed, he said, oh, a lot of the people living in the public housing were having to sleep in the foyer at night because mm. their rooms were these hot boxes and they're far away from the seaside where you might go down to get the evening breeze as most Melburnians would do in a real heat wave. And th- he was talking about, you know, re the inner city and the western suburbs and the p- parts where they're a long way you can't just get down to the beach easily and you don't have a car and you're living in these uninsulated or mm. you know poorly built um, buildings and and there's a lot of things that cities can do to make life more aware of, you know le- less of it have climate health have less of an impact and I think that that justice is perspective is really important it can't just leave and I, I worry about all the people the homeless people too how can we have so many people sleeping out and in a heat wave or now in the Melbourne freezing winters you know the, what's happening to them so I think that's a good perspective well you're going to be presenting at the summit on beyond zero's carbon communities uh, it's called zero carbon communities tell us why these communities are important and who they are communities are we think essential um, sustainability and climate leaders and for us for beyond zero emissions if we have a look at where we've come over the last 10 years we've always been a community of climate solution leaders um so if we look at our first major report, the Stationary Energy Plan, that was a community of, of 40 researchers mm. coming together um, to roll out their sleeves and work out, well, well how can we decarbonise the electricity sector in 10 years? And um, at the time, as we all know, that was groundbreaking. And, mm. you know, we know that people um, said that that's ridiculous, it can't be achieved. But fast forward to 2017, and of course that's now the dominant story. Um, all of the major climate or NGOs and governments, we all now know that that's where we need to get to, mm. and, and that was a community that came together to demonstrate that. Um, so Zero Carbon Communities really builds on um, what, builds on BZE being a mm. community think tank and takes it to the next step where we're now working with communities at the local level um, how they can um, get to zero emissions in their own communities and we see um, for us communities have been have have allowed us to change the narrative around um, zero carbon and um, it just makes sense that communities you know at, at the local level are going to be incredibly powerful and I think from my own experience I've um, you know I've worked in local government um, probably in the early 2000s I was working on um, Ickley cities for climate 
And at that stage, it was seen to be a real void, policy void in climate at the federal level. But this local government movement um, rolled up their sleeves and was incredibly um, powerful and influential Mm. with their communities in setting targets, um, working out what their emissions were, setting targets, developing plans. And they got to the point where they were achieving and they could actually quantify and report on the amount of carbon that they um, had saved through mm. their work. And that, I mean, I, that's left a really deep impression on me throughout my career. And I think um, with zero carbon communities, we are working um, actively with three communities at the yeah. moment. Well, I think that they are on the front line, aren't yeah. they? I interviewed the mayor of Byron Bay yeah. once and he said, oh, Byron Bay, we're getting so much litigation around the cliff faces being eroded and people have these yeah. e- edge of cliff properties and insurance claims not working and it was a terrible headache for him and he said you know they do need a blueprint they need some help in they're very aware of decarbonizing themselves yeah. not that it'll solve the coastal erosion problem but they're thinking of they need to justify a move backwards from the, the coast so how do you help communities who who are pretty aware of it and and want to cut down their emissions well uh uh, zero carbon communities is really it's a simple um, way to develop a plan um, to to get to zero emissions. So it's a simple framework where um, communities can um, guidance where they can come together, um, set a goal, work out their baseline emissions, um, and then prepare a transition plan um, of how and where they work out what kind of projects they would like to work on to achieve zero emissions. So really what we're doing is um, we're giving them a simple framework and um, making our research available to them mm. as a tool. Um, but the real, the, the skill and the depth of experience in the actual communities themselves um, is, what is, is what's so critical. Yeah. I think often when we think about climate leadership, Something um, that communities can do and they they do exceptionally well is they can create solutions and they can, um, you know, the ability to develop a vision for where you want to get to is so vital um, to moving to zero emissions. And from, I guess, I've I've spent a lot of my career working in government Mm -hmm. um, and I think communities um, are not necessarily encumbered by the things that you might experience in government, they are free to be genuine leaders and to envision what they see. But it's also wonderful the expertise that turns up in remote places because I know like that Enova Energy Company, they found these people, very brilliant people were able to just dovetail into, okay, we want to to have our own energy system and and all kind of CEO-level people seem to just absolutely... Turn up. up in the country town itself. Oh, that's exactly oh, right. And, and Hepburn wind yep. turbines, the same thing. Very ex- expert people. Yeah. If we look at the Latrobe <laughs> Valley, there's an amazing um, skill there. You've got incredibly skilled um, workers in the electricity sector. Um, yeah. You know, years and years of experience, and we are working with the Borbor communities, one of our communities that we're working for. And you're completely right. We are incredibly blessed mm. with um, such a diverse range of really skilled people that are coming together um, to build their vision for their zero-carbon community. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to see at the EcoCity Summit, um, the, the talent that's assembled there. And you look at the program, it just makes you think, oh, I have met some of those people. You think this is like mega brilliance all just there. will be impossible to choose which session to go to for me because there's so many wonderful things on display but um, I hope they'll all network and, and influence each other so that there'll be a flow on after the conference in, in Victoria and in Australia and I, I certainly think this thing of cities leading and state 
governments leading is the way to go at the moment. Um, Vanessa, just before we get on to Professor Wiseman, I know you have another presenter at the conference, Michael Lord. He's going to talk about cement. Now, we have interviewed Michael twice, I think, before, and we haven't had rave, you know, letters, you know, saying that was the most exciting program I've ever heard, and it's not Michael's problem or cement's problem, but you seem a lot more fired up than most uh, people about cement. So do you want to have a little rave about it? Goodness, that's very harsh, Vivian. <laughs> well, so on the 11th of um, August, we'll be releasing Rethinking Cement, which is a plan for how we can manufacture cement without emissions. And Michael will be presenting on his work at Eco City World Summit. And it's incredibly important and I think exciting because, for one, Think of a day when you did not have cement touch your life. It's mm. impossible. Um, cement literally builds the modern world, and yet cement is responsible for 8% of all global carbon emissions. That's more than the global car fleet. Um, it's phenomenal. It's it's quite a large amount, um, and real, no one has a plan to decarbonise that industry, mm. which is why we undertook this research work um, and there are it's really exciting there are a lot of Australian um, cement manufacturers that are doing some very interesting things with alternative cements and it is possible to get to zero carbon in 10 years so we are looking forward to sharing that research and starting a conversation with the building and infrastructure industry and the cement industry and government about how um, we can really we see that how Australia can be world leaders mm. in alternative cement technology. Perhaps we need Elon Musk to come and offer to build something with it. <laughs> well, um, now that you're talking about that, there's a lot of cement involved in renewable infrastructure. So, I mean, you know, we talk. Some people talk about you know, the carbon um, budget that we have left, and of course, it, you need to, you know admit carbon to manufacture renewable technology but cement could be part of the answer of actually producing the infrastructure without emissions. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to have uh, Professor Wiseman in a moment um, and, he, and I'm, I'm going to ask him more generally about the uh, EcoCity Summit. But for Ms. Vanessa, I've, um, I'd like to, you to talk a little bit about um, just your work in Beyond Zero. Just we have a little few moments before Professor Wiseman comes on. How have you found it um, taking over the CEO job? And you've met a lot of volunteers, you've been to a lot of trainings and you've read a lot of the reports, I imagine. How, what's your feeling and where, where are you taking the organisation? The main thing is feeling incredibly energised. I... Um, I've never come across a community of people um, with so much passion and commitment and skill, and it's been um, a real honour mm-hmm. to meet meet you all and to work with you. So, for I mean, the the focus at the moment for us um, is our zero carbon industry work, and of course, zero carbon communities where we're wanting to grow that program from being a a pilot, a startup project, which we started it last year and looking at how we can build that into an ongoing program um, because our, our vision for that is to have an ever-growing network of communities across Australia that are working together to achieve zero um, carbon emissions. So that's really our, our focus at the moment. Um, so we're about to talk about cement and then later on in the year we'll commence our re- research on renewable industrial heat and um, explore solutions for industry where they can basically be liberated from mm. coal and gas. Mm. Well, mm. Uh, I 
like to say you're a younger person than myself, so you've got a lot more future to look. Now I look at the next 80 years, I think, well, I won't be here for the full next 80. I don't 80. think I'll slip 80 in either, Vivian. <laughs> no, well, maybe not, but anyway, you look a lot younger than me. Um, how do you feel like about climate change? It is the absolutely most daunting thing for you, for your ne- the next generation. Maybe eventually I'll have grandchildren, I don't know. Um, I-, I sort of feel there's a lot, especially as I'm in media, I think, oh, we have to talk it up the, the recovery, the, the path to the, the better, you know, that we'll, we'll work it out. We'll eventually work it out, but we get, then we get Trump and then we get Korean missiles and we get, I think I will blow ourselves up with nuclear weapons before, but sometimes I think, what's the point uh, of working on climate? That's my frivolous opinion. But, you know, do, do you have a feeling of solidity under your feet with the people you know and with the work you're doing? Yeah, ab- absolutely. It is scary and daunting and we know it's, it's extremely serious, the situation we're facing. I mean, for myself, I was brought up as an engineer and engineers like they're task orientated. They like to come up with solutions and they like to really pursue that. And I, I think many years ago, um, a former boss gave me incredibly useful advice. He said that when you want to achieve something, and in this instance, we're talking about um, climate solutions and getting to zero um, emissions across the economy, you work it out, you hold it close to you and you imagine you're on a footy field and you're running to the <laughs> goalposts and people will come and try and get that ball off you and nab it off you and push you over. The task is to not get distracted on the naysayers and just aim um, aim for your destination. And I, I think, you know, it is very understandably easy to get really caught up in talking about the problem of mm. climate change Um there are solutions, though. There are so many good things that are happening at the moment. Um, you know, I think the tide has turned. As my fabulous colleague Imogen pointed out to me a few weeks ago, this time five years ago, the discussion wouldn't be about um, how best to, you know, reform the electricity sector and decarbonise it. The, the public debate would be, do we believe in climate change or not? We're not having that debate anymore. Um, we've moved on. We're now talking about solutions you know, different people still have different ideas about how to get to the end game, but at least now we're all on the same page. We all agree that we need to secure a safe climate. We need to secure, you know, minimise um, the increase to two degrees or less, and that's a phenomenal achievement that we hadn't thought was possible, you know, going back 10 years. Um, things are going in the right direction. We need them to go faster, though. Fantastic. All right, I can see we're in safe hands with you. So we're going to uh, talk now to Professor Wiseman, but have a little break first, Andy. Have a little bit of music. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Now we're going to talk to Professor John Wiseman. He is the Climate Change Advisor to Sustainability Victoria as well as Co-Director of Melbourne Sustainable Society Institute. His work is focused on the social and political transformation to a post-carbon society that we need and he's also interested in how to drive it. So welcome, John. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for taking time off. You must be mega busy right now, but I'm (laughs) glad to hear you sounding relaxed. That's good. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah. Tell us what the aims of this EcoCity World Summit are. Sure. So the the EcoCity World Summit is coming to Melbourne for three days from this Wednesday. And uh, what it will do, it will bring together hundreds and hundreds of the world's leading urban researchers and policymakers and practitioners 
to yeah to talk about all the solutions to the the really urgent climate and sustainability challenges facing not just Melbourne but all the world's cities and I guess you know the question you know then comes why is why is that so important why are cities so important and I think if we we look at the world and we look at uh, well a, a world in the time of Trump it seems who's pulled uh, the United States out of the Paris Agreement it's increasingly clear that um, cities have a really important role to play in leading action on climate change and and all the other great challenges of our time so this summit will be a a terrific opportunity to to hear from people from all around around the world about um, the most exciting ideas, the most exciting opportunities for meeting those challenges. Well, there are so many guests speaking at your summit, and I'm especially looking for, I'll tell you the one I, I want to um, go and meet her as well. I've spoken to her before. Her name is Professor Deborah Roberts. Mm. I interviewed her a few years ago about the green belt that they planted around South African city Durban, and the water catchment improved, the coolness of the city improved it was less dusty and the previous shantytown dwellers now had jobs as forest managers so it was a totally wonderful initiative on that town and she was full of examples like that i'd like you to tell us about some of the other guests yeah well i mean just to, to take deb for a second i mean she's a fantastic example of somebody who has worked um you know at the local level in uh, in durban in south africa on all these issues for many years and she's now also leading global work on uh on climate adaptation for cities around the world so so many of the the people here have that combination of practical local experience and and uh and really being important on the global stage. So, well, as you may have noticed, uh, there's a guy called Al Gore um, who's contributing to the summit. He'll be um, talking about the latest, uh, his latest work on uh, the, the role of cities in meeting the climate challenge. Um, we've got uh, uh, a guy called Aroma Revy, who's director of the Indian Institute for Human Settlements, um, talking about bringing lessons from India and, uh, and lots of other uh, cities from the global south around the world. Uh, we've got uh, closer to home, um, we're really excited that Amelia Telford um, from the SEED Indigenous Youth Climate Network in Australia will be talking about uh, how much we can learn from Indigenous wisdom and expertise about uh, the kind of changes we need to make to build a, a resilient uh, zero carbon world or and uh, one last example um, who some of your listeners may well know of David Holmgren one of the oh, co-founders of the permaculture movement so you can see that there's you know people from far away and close at home and uh, and many hundreds of others that I could talk about well that brings I, I remember hearing David Holmgren give a talk about how cities you know with climate change being so grave will eventually abandon cities you know and he, he envisioned these great big highways left with nothing when all the oil been, you know, used up and uh, so on. I, I think he has an alternative vision to cities growing any bigger. Is that how you see it? That cities will in fact go on this trend that they're getting to be mega cities. Melbourne certainly is bursting at the seams, but many cities around the world are just drawing in people all the time. Do you, do you see the cities actually growing? Well, I think uh, at the moment it's clear that yes, cities are getting bigger and more and more people are living in cities. And I think that means that 
we have to think carefully about uh, there are lots of challenges that creates clearly you know cities are mm, key producers of the world's greenhouse gases cities are at the front line of extreme weather events like floods and storms and heat waves but it also seems to me that creates huge opportunities um, huge potential for cities to lead the way in 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 Firstly, um, driving the, the transformation, the, the change to a zero carbon economy, and then um, helping all of us, particularly the most vulnerable communities, to uh, to address those challenges. So, for the moment, at least, yes, cities do seem to be uh, becoming, or more and more people are living in cities. Um, but that may be we need to think differently about how we live in cities, how we grow food more locally, how we harvest water more locally, how we, of course, switch from fossil fuels to renewable energy, how we walk more and use public transport more. So uh, we need to think quite creatively and quite differently about how we live in cities. Yes, I, I, I know that uh, certainly it sounds counterintuitive, but an individual person living in a city potentially has a lower footprint, lower carbon footprint than someone living in a remote, far-out town or suburb. Um, but I think it's partly because of the transport costs involved yeah. or, or they're living in smaller units of space, not having to heat and cool such big places. Is that is that the reason? Well, I think clearly if we can um, yeah, drive a little less and... Uh, um, you know, work closer to where we live and grow our food and uh, and uh, collect our water closer to where we live. Then, then that's going to create less energy. But we also have to recognise that a lot of people, um, you know, living on you know the outskirts of a, of a city like Melbourne, you know, it's not easy to to walk uh, to or to ride bicycles to where they they work and shop. So, mm. yeah, we really need to make sure that. Uh, we you know, keep investing in the public transport um, and uh, the infrastructure that will help people across all parts of the city um, access the services and the work they need. Well, I think one of uh, Beyond Zero Emissions' best pieces of work, I think, was the high-speed rail report, and they even had, like, the timetable of the trains. We'd get on in Melbourne and arrive in Brisbane, and I used to love the thought of catching that train, but it hasn't been built yet, of course. Um, and I went to many launches of that and talks and forums about it, and people said, look, the money's there. It's not going to be a problem of investment. We just have to get that land corridor, and it will be incredible stimulus to country towns that those certain country towns where the stops will be become hubs as they have been in Japan where the bullet train goes and I wonder is this an opportunity do you see for regional hubs would you like to see that rather than Melbourne becoming ever ever more enormous that say these regional towns like Shepparton and Goulburn should yeah, yes, completely. I think that's a really important point. Um, when we talk about cities, of course, sometimes we think, first of all, of you know, Melbourne and Sydney and New York and so on. But um, in in Australia, in Victoria, um, we've got regional cities like uh, Geelong and Bendigo and Ballarat and, as you say, Shepparton. Um, and these are all um, hubs that we need to develop uh, and strengthen. Um, and it's important to say that the, the Eco City Summit will include sessions um, with people from particularly, in this case, Geelong and Bendigo talking about all the work they're doing to uh, you know, 
to reduce energy demand, to improve sustainability, um, to to switch to renewable energy. So I completely agree. I think uh, there's huge potential for um, those regional cities to play uh, a great role and become more sustainable places to live. Yeah, perhaps this is the moment for you to describe what an Eco- ecological city really is or could you give us some examples from around yeah. the world yeah yeah sure so um uh and when i look at the program you know for the eco city summit and i see speakers from cities as diverse as you know los angeles shanghai jakarta new delhi johannesburg suva and they're all talking about you know, what do they mean by an eco-city? Now, at the broadest level, I guess eco-cities are simply cities that are taking you know, decisive action to, to meet the great ecological challenges of our time. And in my view, the, the biggest of those challenges um, and, and therefore the key challenge for eco-cities is climate change and a fast shift to a, a zero-carbon urban economy. But that then, as you say, raises the question, so what are zero-carbon eco-cities going to look like? Well, um, there'll be cities powered by solar and wind energy, um, supported probably by the kind of large-scale energy storage that Elon Musk has just announced for South Australia. There'll, There'll be cities where we'll see electric vehicles replacing petrol fuel cars and where a lot more people will be travelling by public transport and bicycles and walking. Um, There'll be cities where there's a far greater emphasis on local food production and water harvesting. Um, And there'll be cities, and I think this is important, um, I mean, I think you talked uh, earlier about recovery. Uh, We need to move fast to uh, away from fossil fuels to renewable energy, but we also need to recognise there's a lot of... um, a lot of difficult times built into the climate change that's already coming towards us. So we'll need to take uh, great care to ensure that all residents, rich and poor and young and old, are protected as well as they can be from the increasing risks of floods and fires and storms. So those are some of the pictures I have in my mind, some of the stories um, about um, alternative urban visions, if you like, that people will be exploring at the EcoCity Summit. Well, I'm really looking forward to it because I think this um, path to recovery needs a lot of help in the public eye. It needs a lot more media around it. It needs a lot more films and people just showing what it'll look like. And the reason I got onto that idea was Professor David Lindenmeyer speaking to us last week and he's concentrating on you know small animals, forestry, little marsupials and animals on the verge of extinction. And he was looking at an IPCC graph and one line on the graph goes vertically up through the ceiling. It's the runaway climate change path and the other path goes down back towards a fairly manageable climate which is called recovery. It's called recovery on the IPCC graph. And I just thought that word recovery, that's what we need to... Th- and Lyndon Ma was really thinking about it. He was actually telling me how they'd plant trees so that snakes could live in tree hollows and survive the heat waves of the next 80 years but we would get back to the kind of climate that is manageable for biodiversity and and then for civilization. So I think we should talk more about what that will look like and I'm hoping that this conference will spark those ideas. I mean, is that how you feel? Do you actually think like that or do you uh, feel daunted? (laughs) Well, I heard, um, I think I heard uh, Vanessa Petrie from Beyond Zero Emissions talking before about this too and I think we 
we all have whole two thoughts in our mind here, don't we? I yeah. mean, one is the, you know, as you say, the the prospect, uh, and it's you know, it's a it's a real risk, a real danger of the kind of um, yeah, off off the scale catastrophic climate change, you know, that you you talked about, and uh, I think we all realise that, um, you know, if that really comes to pass you know it'll be very difficult for human beings or snakes or animals or anybody else to adapt to so you know there's a real there's a real risk um and it's uh it's of great concern but i think we also as, as vanessa also said we we know now what uh, what the roadmap is to that we need to take we know we've got to make a very fast switch to a zero carbon economy by no later than 2040 we know how to do that. We know that we've got to drive down energy demand through reduced consumption and improved energy efficiency. We know we've got to replace fossil fuels with renewables. We know we've got to make a swift switch to sustainable low-carbon agriculture and forestry. We know the pathway. Um, we know that there are a huge number of people out there campaigning you know, in, on issues, you know, from well, divestment to uh, the Adani campaign uh, to work on you know, low-carbon agriculture. So we know there's a huge amount of energy out there. Um, the, the challenge is to keep um, bringing that energy together and driving the change as fast as we possibly can. Well, just to finish, um, I'd just like to come back to the political side. I know you, you're interested in also the the political transformation that needs to take place. You mentioned Trump, and I think, think the fact that our federal government recently tried to hide the emissions, you know, the, the emissions were in fact rising. There was, um, I think the Guardian revealed it, or Fairfax maybe media revealed it, but they'd been trying to just conceal the fact that our emissions are in fact rising, and they know it's very politically shaming. And I would like, you know, I would like to see some way of interacting with them. I know cities can do a lot and state governments can do a lot, but what is that? What are we going to do about these national uh, parliament parliaments, federal mm. government in our case? You've obviously studied what sort of things will drive this transformation and so how can we get through the idea of a post-carbon society and how good it will be to our politicians and all those frightened people who vote for them? Mm. Uh, I think... Uh, I mean the word leadership gets bandied around a lot, I guess, but I think this is all about leadership of all sorts of kinds and at all sorts of levels. So there's a leadership which we can each take from, if you like, leadership from below, from grassroots organisations and cities and and state governments, and, and that's, that's critical. But you're right. Um, this is such a big problem that we will also need leadership from national governments um, and you know, some in some countries around the world, we you know, see that happening more than in Australia. And so the uh, the the voice of citizens will be critical here. Um, the pressure, I think, of uh, the work that groups like 350 and others are doing on divestment. I think um, people, politicians of all kinds. Um, they listen to the voice of electors. They also watch carefully the decisions that people are making about where they invest their money, um, perhaps where they move their money from um, banks that uh, recognise the need to get out of fossil fuels and those that don't. So I think there's lots of ways of passing on messages um, uh, to to our politicians. Um, some of that's through the ballot box. Um, some of that's through 
letter writing and uh, and going and talking to them, and some of it's perhaps through the hip pocket as well. So I think uh, there'll be a range of ways of of changing um, changing the views and changing the uh, the decisions of of governments. But you're right. Um, uh, the local is important, but in this instance, um, because it's a global problem, we have to act nationally and globally as well. Okay, well, thank you very much. We've been talking to Professor John Wiseman. He's one of the leaders of Melbourne's Eco City Summit starting next Wednesday. I'm very grateful for him to take some time out to talk to us, and I wish you well with the summit, John. It looks like a fabulous thing, and it probably will have a huge ripple effect in the culture and in the years to come, so we won't actually know or see it, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk this afternoon. Thank you. So that was Professor John Wiseman. We'll have a very small break, Andy, and then we're going to come back to talk to uh, Stephanie Zirsch from Sustainability Victoria. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union invites you all to a rousing Jam for Jobs and Justice concert on Sunday, July 30, featuring the Horn Stars, Reds Under the Bed and Moreland City Marching Band at the Bella Union Bar, Trades Hall, Carlton, from 2 to 5 p.m. For tickets, phone 96505699 or book online at bellaunion.com.au. $15 full, $10 concession. Raffles and prizes are part of the deal. For more info, contact unemployedworkersunion.com. Help protect the rights and dignity of unemployed workers and pensioners. Get along to Jobs and Justice. Bella Union, Sunday, July 30. Thanks, Andy. Well, I don't know who sang that song, but that was really jazzy, wasn't it? Um, we're back now to the Beyond Zero Emissions Monday show, community show, and we're talking about the EcoCity Summit. And I have in the studio two people who are presenting at that summit. Stephanie Zisch is the Director, Communities and Climate Change with Sustainability Victoria, which is a government agency. They will be presenting at the EcoCity Summit, and I would like to start, though, by asking you, Stephanie, a bit about yourself and what sustainability means to you. How did you get into this path? Sure. Um, thank you. Well, I'm actually very new to Victoria. Um, I've come across from South Australia, uh, where I worked in climate change policy uh, for over over 10 years. And I guess my motivation for being in climate change policy and working in sustainability in sustainability is, is bringing about positive transformational change. So I firmly believe that uh, that taking action on climate change and a more sustainable and to bring about a more sustainable world will actually improve people's quality of life. It will actually bring about uh, greater community connectivity. There'll be economic opportunities, job creation opportunities. I think there'll be health benefits as people start to walk and do exercise um, instead of always just jumping in their in their cars um, and I think it's also um, and it's been a theme that, that um, Vanessa's talked about and that's about it helps with creating a more just world so mm. um, as well as uh, amazing biodiversity benefits etc well, the denialists say that it's a sort of big gravy train and that a lot of people are employed in environmental stuff and sustainability stuff and now climate change action and reaction and if we go down their path we'll have a huge economic collapse and there'll be no justice and there'll be no pleasure at all in life do you i think that i think that that is obviously think that that is the completely wrong way to think mm -hmm. about it i think that we can actually move to a world of um 
net zero emissions um, and also have a very prosperous world. Um, but it's important that we start to put the, the, the policies in place and take action now to create those jobs and actually start to transition um, to that zero carbon economy. Yeah, sorry to throw that at you because no. I know I never interview those people at all, but I just notice them coming up in the media all the time, and I think who listens to them, who believes them, and it is obviously so good. But well, let's paint the picture of why it will be good, the sustainable and post carbon future. Um, what does your climate change work actually involve? Well, one of our main climate change programs is is obviously Take Two. Um, so uh, it's it was the result of some key activities happening internationally. Um, so the, the Paris Agreement in, in, in 2050, 2015, and there was a lot of momentum that was, that was generated at, at that conference. So you had the 196 um, signatories, but it was an amazing when you looked around and you, and you saw the number of businesses that were, that were, uh, that were, were committed, the number of subnational governments, communities and, and NGOs, and there was a great deal of momentum. Um, and the Victorian government really wanted to, to, to build on that. There was also a review... Um, in Victoria of the climate change legislation and one of the recommendations of that review um, was that there should be a voluntary pledge program that could really help um, build momentum and Take Two is, the, is that program and, and SFE has, or Sustainability Victoria has been tasked with actually uh, developing the voluntary pledge program. So we worked with around uh, 200 organisations um, with some of our fun, founding partners like um, Beyond Zero Emissions and we actually developed a range of actions um, that could be taken by individuals. So there were achievable actions uh, that could be taken and one of the good, really important things is that um, organisations and individuals pledging to take two can actually select which action they want to do, the ones that are actually relevant, relevant um, for, for their work. There's also a mandatory component to, to take two, and that's for state government departments. Um, they actually have um, a, a target where they have to reduce their emissions by 30% by, by 2020. But what's take two? What two things could you do? Is it... Mostly for individuals? It is It is for individuals, it's for business, it's for community organisations, okay, it's what, for local What could an individual government. do? What two things? There, well, two things. Uh, two things that can be taken. I mean, they can be things that take as little as two minutes, and I guess that's really important that everybody understands that, um, that taking action on climate change can be really simple. So um, actions that could be taken, reducing drafts with inexpensive draft stoppers. Um, is an example. Washing your clothes in cold water um, is is another example of um, some activities that can can be taken. Looking at your food waste mm. uh, and reducing that, and it can be as simple as things like um, using your leftovers, uh, thinking before you go to the supermarket about what food you actually need, mm. uh, and just buying what you actually need. So there's there's uh, a range of actions that can be taken, and they um, they range from the very simple to to more complex actions that can okay, be taken. Well, what about business? businesses? That, uh, I think those ideas have been around a lot. But what what can bis- business do? Really serious things business can do to cut emissions. I mean, some of the things that they can do is about is renewable energy. So. Um, Buying 100% renewable energy. I mean that um, through through mm. green power. Um, looking at uh, how they can improve their energy 
savings. So mm. looking at energy efficient um, mechanisms, but also being leaders. That can, that can be really important, letting others know that they are taking action on climate change. So is this working, not being mandatory? Absolutely. I mean, we have had uh, around 8,300 um, participants have actually committed to, to take two, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. So we've got around 7,700 individuals have pledged to take mm-hmm. action, uh, nearly 400 businesses, uh, over 100 community organisations um, and 32 local governments. So we're, um, the momentum is, is really building and we're really pleased. We're excited to be creating a community of um, of of take two pledges Um, and we're really and the next step um, that we'll be working towards is how can we actually connect our members together so that we can um, as as Vanessa talked about how do we how can we catalyze solutions how can we connect our individuals with solutions Mm. how can we actually really bring about a lot of measurable action and that's that's the next phase that we'll be working to how can we connect our our participants with skills with expertise with finance and how can we work to dismantle some of the barriers to action well that's what i would like to see because i've been doing this program for a few years now and so i'm always looking at aspects of it and i i i hear a lot of people say take small actions no action is too small but you know, like if you're trying to collect money and you say no amount of money is too small and someone sends you, you know, $1, it's not what you really you really meant. You really wanted $10, you might have wanted $100. It, I think the small actions, it's, the time's passed for that now. Like we've got July, plastic-free July. I feel impatient with that. I'm sorry, I, I might be really curmudgeonly, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sick of that now. I really want the big actions and I really want something to be mandatory for business, for example, because I think we were talking about state and city-level reactions now um, because at the national level they're pussyfooting around and not, you know, it's 10 steps forward and 10 steps back. Look, I I think there's a role for both Mm. um, voluntary and mandatory action, but I think a really important part of Take Two in the network is to build a social movement for action. And I think when um, national and and state politicians see that the community really wants action to be taken, that's what a lot of those mandatory uh, measures will be put in place. So I think it's it's a combination of both, and it's really important to be able to engage with lots of different people. So you've been on this journey for some time. Yeah. For some people, it's just it's just the beginning, and it's absolutely critical that people feel that they can take positive action. So it, it's really it's it, it's really important that they can understand that it's easy. I think to some degree, people have thought that taking action on on climate change is makes their life more difficult. It's always more time consuming, but that that is not the case, and that's what we're about at Sustainability Victoria, making sustainability and climate change action easier for communities. Oh well, good. Well, tell us about the Eco City Sub uh, Summit. How will Victoria contribute? One one of your colleagues is going. I think. And, you know, what are they going to present about? Sure. So we have two presenters at the Eco City Summit. So uh, the CEO, Stan Grapan, will be talking. He'll be talking about Take Two, uh, very much along the lines of, of what I've just been talking about, where it's come from, what the policy settings are, etc. He'll also be talking about some climate change social research that, that we've commissioned. Um, and there's some really interesting statistics. Um, for example,
example, that 93% of Victorians expect business and industry to take action on climate change. So I think that's really interesting. Mm. Um, it's not just about government. It's also about business and industry taking action. But also 73% of Victorians would prefer to buy goods and services from companies that um, care about climate change. So I think there's some important messages um, for business there. We also see that 79% of Victorians are willing to act on climate change and they're also willing to take what we call um, advanced actions. So uh, purchasing green power, for example, but also um, purchasing battery so storage systems mm. um, and also community energy projects. Um, there's, a, there's a great deal of interest. What, do you, in what do you feel about greenwash? Do you feel worried that sometimes people are going to get all on board with this and they just greenwash their product? They put a label on it and people... Go, Oh, I'll buy that because it's, you know... Well, I mean, green power sustainable is... Sustainable written all over it, but that's, that's right. I mean, it's, um, green, green power is actually certified, so I think there were some, some greenwash issues um, back probably about 10 years ago, and I think that we've learnt from them, and there, and there are all sorts of certification mm. um, requirements in place. Uh, we had the ACCC involved uh, mm. last time, so there's certainly, um, there's certainly a consciousness a, a, about it, and I think there's a, a lot more certification that happens these days. Okay, Vanessa, you're with us still. Would you like to uh, weigh in now? Have you got some more things to add about what you're going to say at Eco Summit or ask Stephanie about the uh, sustainability of Victoria? Reflecting on you know talking, we we're talking about the small changes, and um, I think you really struck a chord with me when you reminded um, us that not every everyone's on a different um, part of the journey. Mm. And um, I, you know, looking at the, the small changes, I used to work in waste and resource recovery, and I think food's a really good example that you know it, it causes a lot of problems when it gets into the ground in a landfill, mm. methane, but also for residents that live nearby. And yet we still have households throwing what is it around two, three thousand dollars worth of food goes into the bin and landfill, and then becomes methane each year. And so mm. I think for me, it's so really important to crack those um, challenges Absolutely. and then you can build on that um, yeah Yes. Oh, look, I, I, I absolutely believe in when people realise how much money they're wasting. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. And I think there's um, a real need to, to raise awareness and, and so people can understand what, what they can actually do about it. But yeah. could I just weigh in here that I mm. interviewed someone from Vienna State mm. Government and he, he had pioneered this thing to exactly deal with that food waste. And they had special little biodegradable bags that went in little tiny rubbish bins, I imagine, on the, on the sink side and they were collected and there was zero waste. They put them all into biodigesters, it turned into electricity and he was taking this now to all the other countries, mm. Poland and Czechoslovakia where he was going at that time. Biodigesters were very big. Now I think that only can come from a top down, you know, from here's the system, here's how you can uh, participate and I think in Vienna they had, you know, fines if they didn't. Yes, I mean I think there's a, there is a place for mandatory mm. but there's also a place for demand um, from the community and I do think something like, like take two and, and, and that's what we're hoping with our network that we can actually t um, use it to drive demand for products and services yeah. so I think that's really important there needs to be the products that can actually help with 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 our our difficult issues that need to uh, need to be resolved. Okay, talking about community, um, it's probably worth mentioning that Eco City World Summit has a really fantastic program for families. Um, in conjunction, I think it's with the City of Melbourne, so it, um, many more people can get involved in the summit oh, this week yep. as well. On the weekend, is that doing the tours or? 
I think it'd be best for listeners to check the website, check but the I, website, I did yeah. read yeah, there are family activities. Okay, yeah. Eco City Summit listeners, and it's at the Convention Centre on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, but you have to register. I don't know if you still can, but on the weekend they're also doing tours that only cost $20 each tour where you can go and see eco-friendly buildings eco- and I think the water, how the water is... Um, purified in, in Victoria or in Melbourne. It's There are four tours that you can go on. I should have taken note of those. But Eco City Summit is the website that you should look at. So I think we're nearly we're nearly out of time. Is Do anything? Do either of you um, want to say anything more? I think I've been a bit harsh. <laughs> do, do either of you want to say some more? Well, you were about cement, Vivian. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I would urge your listen, listeners to um, to look at the Sustainability Victoria website, uh, to look at um, Take Two. I mean, as I said, it, it really is a simple process to have, have a look, look at the actions that you can sign up to, join our growing community. There'll be a lot of exciting activities in the, in the coming years. Also on the website, if you have a look at the, the grants, the support programs, the information, um, and I would in, encourage your listeners to do that. Okay, well, listeners, there you are. That's your homework, and that's the action for tonight. Um, I'd like to thank our uh, guests who have been um, Professor John Wiseman, Vanessa, Vanessa Petrie and Stephanie Zirsch who have um, been with us in the studio which always makes it much more lively and uh, thank you to the team which is Andy who's sitting here playing the music and getting everything going smoothly and behind the scenes uh, Roger and Teddy. Uh, Next week we're going to have another creature feature which will be about the solutions. We're going to introduce interview some very interesting people about those large-scale um, buy-ups of land, in, especially in Central Australia and Northern Territory, uh, Australian Wildlife Conservancy, where they're keeping out the feral pests, putting feral-proof fences and also keeping out some of the livestock so that the native wildlife can have a bit of a, <coughs> uh, a chance to survive. And this is on properties like three billion acres <laughs> so I'm, I was very interested to talk to them and we'll hear from them next week and to other guests so uh, listen next week for that feature and if you want to do some action this week um, perhaps you can also look up wires which we mentioned last week which is also about wildlife I know a lot of people were very interested in the wildlife aspect of climate change because we often forget them the little bandicoots and uh, pipistrel bats and tiny creatures that are all still trying to survive and they're all part of a, a whole in food web that, that we depend on really so wires is the first port of call if you're interested in that and um also, as Stephanie mentioned, you might like to look up the organisation called Take Two. It's on Sustainability Victoria's website, and you might like to take their pledge, Take Two, that you'll pledge to do two things. But I hope, you know, you heard what I had to say, do two big things, I think. <laughs> I'm a bit impatient for some climate action here. So thank you very much for listening, and thank you again to our Radiothon donors. We've well and truly passed our target, including $100 from a raffle last week, and I'd like you now to stay tuned for a new program while Save Albert Park is in recess. We're going to listen to a song to go out by Mia Dyson called Tali Khan, just after the outro. Thanks, Andy. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. 
As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention, BZE Radio.